Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another Just Justin episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. I know that leaving a podcast review can be quite tricky, so I have made this as easy as possible for you. All you have to do is visit ratethispodcast.com slash Clovis. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash Clovis. I've also included this link in the show notes, so you can just click that link and it will show you a list of podcast platforms. Select your favorite podcast platform and you will see step-by-step on-screen instructions for exactly how to leave a podcast review. Each and every review counts. It really, really helps and it truly means the world to me. Thank you. As always, this episode is brought to you by Clovis. I am the founder and CEO of Clovis and I am in the business of changing people's lives for the better. I am a certified nutritional therapist and I have helped over 1,000 people just like you transform their health and wellness. And I want to work with you. To prove it, I'm going to give you a free seven-day trial, which will give you full-blown access to all of the exclusive members-only content that Clovis has to offer. Just visit iamclovis.com slash start. I-A-M-C-L-O-V-I-S dot com slash start. You will find videos of yours truly, and you will find some incredible transformation stories from real-life Clovis clients. You will be shocked by the incredible stories that these brave individuals have to tell, stories of full-blown life transformation. 50 pounds in eight weeks, 40 pounds in 60 days, 19 pounds in 21 days, 100 pounds in six months. You name it, I have a client who has done it. And you can too. Check out IamClovis.com slash start and get started with your free trial today. If you'd like to check out my physical products, I am offering you a very special deal on the Perfect Paleo Powder. 30% off your first purchase. In fact, that 30% discount will be applied to your entire cart for your first purchase at IamClovis.com. Head over to IamClovis.com, check out the Perfect Paleo Powder and all the other products that I have available, and you will get 30% off your first purchase. Just use promo code PERFECTPODCAST, all one word, P-E-R-F-E-C-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Perfect podcast, all one word. Apply this discount code at checkout and you will receive 30% off your entire first order. Just visit IamClovis.com to grab this special deal. All right, let's get on with the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. The Pendulum Swing, what I've learned living a life of extremes. I recently came to the abrupt realization that I have lived a life of extremes. I've lived on the furthest edges of cultural and societal norms. And I'm talking about my entire life. From the time I could speak, I've subconsciously spent my entire life avoiding the middle path like the plague. And now, about a month away from my 34th birthday, I find myself searching for the middle path. And it's proving to be quite elusive thanks to the programming I've followed and lived by my entire life on this earth. I want to start by letting all of my listeners know that I may have done you a disservice. Maybe. I'm on the fence about it, actually. Here's the thing. I have demonstrated a way of life for you that seems wildly unattainable to most people. 
I realize that now, after years of sharing my life with the world. The reason I'm on the fence about whether or not that's a bad thing is simply due to the fact that I have been 100% authentic and transparent with you. I share with you my actual life, not a filtered version of it. I really am disciplined. I really don't do cheat days. I really do work out every day. I really am a successful musician. I really am a well-trained martial artist. I really do work with professional athletes. I really am an entrepreneur, and I really do travel the world. It's weird to have to explain that to people, but social media has given us an epidemic of fakers displaying completely fictional versions of their lives to their followers. It's also a little insane that an individual such as myself, even speaking about their own accomplishments the way I just did will be enough for some people to start throwing around words like arrogant and possibly turning this podcast off. We live in a society that expects us to operate from a place of false humility 100% of the time. All I've done so far is list cold hard facts about my life. I am exactly the person I present myself to be. But here's the kicker. For me, personally, my promise of authenticity leaves me no wiggle room for anything. If I talk the talk in my content, then my life becomes clearly defined for me, and my brain translates it into, Justin, you will walk the walk, period, non-negotiable, ever. Which brings me to the topic of living a life of extremes. My recent heroic dose experience with seven grams of psychedelic mushrooms gave me some clarity on something that I call the pendulum swing. That's what I want to outline for you in this episode to see if you can relate to it and see any parallels in your own life, swinging back and forth between the extremes, never really finding yourself comfortably settled on any kind of middle path. Now, words like extreme are completely subjective, of course, and everyone will have slightly different definitions of what is truly extreme and what is not. So for context, let's take a trip down memory lane. From the time I was about five years old, I was a performer. Comedy, mostly. I was absolutely obsessed with comedians, Jim Carrey in particular. I would imitate him constantly, and I'd have my parents and their friends howling with laughter. Everyone was pretty sure I was going to be a stand-up comedian. Not necessarily a normal career path for a child to dream of, but also not necessarily extreme. But as I got older, things only drifted further from cultural ideas of normal. At eight years old, I started piano lessons. The next thing I knew, I was performing at recitals and words like prodigy started getting tossed around. By age 13, I was singing and playing at those normally run-of-the-mill piano recitals with the other kids. My talents were considered so unusual that I literally had complete strangers coming up to me, the parents of other children also performing at the recital, to confide in me that they hate piano recitals and to tell me how glad they were that I performed because, quote, these kind of things are usually just so boring, end quote. These are seemingly harmless moments in life that shape us. Well-meaning adults have no idea that their words are the brush that paints the picture of reality in the minds of children. My tiny little mind interpreted these words from well-meaning adults to mean that Parents didn't actually love their kids unless they were extraordinary. In fact, they found their own children to be boring. Fast forward just a year or two, and I had my very own backyard wrestling league. You know, 
a group of kids that get together in the backyard and pretend fight, just like they see on TV with the WWE. But let me stop you right there before you start thinking this was normal or in any way harmless. Most kids jump around on a trampoline while their moms supervise them and say things like, aren't they cute? This is not the case when I'm involved because I have no idea how to do things in any other way than extreme. I personally contacted Cardi's Furniture, probably the biggest furniture store in all of New England, and I somehow convinced them to deliver a truckload of mattresses for free to my backyard. We laid out the mattresses in the perfect dimensions of a professional wrestling ring, covered them with particle board, which we then covered with multiple layers of carpet padding, which we then wrapped in a tarp. We dug holes and cemented four actual posts in the ground, installed eyelets in those posts, and ran rope intertwined with bungee cords through the eyelets, and we had ourselves a professional wrestling ring. We did not stop there. We rehearsed every day and recorded with a handheld video camera once per week. Crowds of kids came from around the neighborhood to sit on benches and watch us. We launched our very own public access television show. We had announcers, text on the screen, animations, etc., etc., all edited by us, children. And we aired on public access once per week. We had fans all over my hometown. Now, this was also around the same time my parents split, and things started to get pretty dark over time. I was hanging with the wrong kids, watching the wrong kinds of entertainment, and indulging in the wrong kinds of plants. I didn't know plants were medicine until I was in my late 20s. Before I knew it, I was regularly participating in death matches. As our show got more fans, we got more extreme. I have wrestled on thumbtacks and barbed wire more times than I can count. On parts of the body with a lot of surface area, it's not so bad. It's the sensitive spots like the fingertips, elbows, and knees that make thumbtacks a nightmare. I have jumped from second-story windows and smashed through tables. I've been hit over the head with everything from steel chairs to fluorescent light bulbs, which would gleefully shatter, sticking tiny shards of shrapnel into the back of my neck, which the neighborhood girls would help me pick out after the matches. I've been lit on fire on three separate occasions in my life. Each time, I was the one who poured the gasoline and I was the one who lit the match. That's not a joke. You didn't hear that wrong. I've lit myself on fire for my public access backyard wrestling show on three separate occasions. All of us wrestlers eventually started the practice of something called blading to emulate the real pro wrestlers. This is the practice of being hit with some object, usually a steel chair, and while laying on the ground pretending to be hurt, with your head in your hands turned away from the camera, you make a small incision with a razor blade just past your hairline. By the time you turn back to the camera, there's blood pouring down your face, an incredibly dramatic scene for your audience. Of course, this type of arrangement was doomed for failure since the moment of inception, and one day that failure came when we lit a kid named Ray on fire in what's called an inferno match. Quite literally, the first person to light their opponent on fire wins. Believe it or not, this was pretty standard stuff, and we'd done this many times without any real issues. Today was different. Ray was a new kid. He wasn't like the rest of us experienced savages. He was one of many kids who would randomly show up and ask if he could wrestle with us because he wanted to be cool. He wanted to prove himself quickly, so he suggested that his first match be an inferno match. The problem was he didn't know what being lit on fire felt like, 
which is quite uncomfortable. The moment the fire went up, he panicked, and he started running in circles and flailing his arms violently. This is not what you want to do when you're on fire. Trust me. Everyone was screaming at him to stop, drop, and roll. But he was screaming so loudly himself that he was blocking us out. We were chasing him around, trying to get him on the ground, and he just kept running and flailing. It felt like eternity. Eventually, one of the biggest guys in our crew literally tackled him to the ground, and we dogpiled him to put him out. But the damage was done. Ray was burned so badly that the skin was peeling off of his arms. We all knew that this was really bad. Not just for Ray, but for all of us. This is something that would be quite difficult to hide from parents. And remember, we were children. We tried like hell to hide what had happened, but eventually, Ray had to seek medical attention, and his mother showed up at my door to inform my mom of all the horrific things going on in her own backyard. The real kicker was, she even showed my mom the video. Mind you, at this point, my mom was a single mom, working full-time and dealing with her own personal struggles from the divorce. Sure, my dad was definitely in the picture and was supporting everyone financially. He is about the best ex-husband one could hope for. But still, a divorce is incredibly stressful and incredibly painful. My little sister is also five years younger than me and was living with us as well. And she required much more supervision than the teenager of the house. Right? <laughs> Long story short, my mom had no clue what we were doing in that yard. I can only imagine that this felt like being hit by a truck. Needless to say... We somehow convinced Ray's mother not to sue us, and the Backyard Wrestling League was shut down. Just to give you an idea of how serious things had gotten, my Backyard Wrestling League was called CCW, Coventry Championship Wrestling, and our colors were red and black. When word hit that the league had been shut down, countless kids showed up to school wearing red and black clothing and had created their own t-shirts that said, Free CCW. Needless to say, their silly protest did nothing to change the mind of my mother. After the wrestling league, the universe stepped in and thankfully got me away from the crew of kids I had been hanging out with for years. I quit smoking pot, and I started playing drums in a punk band. The next thing I knew, I was playing shows all over Rhode Island, in legit nightclubs no less, as a 15-year-old kid. Our moms were driving us to shows in minivans. My band was called Outgrown, and everyone knew us. I mean everyone. The whole town. I look back now and just shake my head and laugh at the insanity of all the things I was able to pull off as a child. At the time, I thought I knew more than all the grown-ups, of course. But I look back now, and I was legitimately a child. I see 15-year-olds now, and they might as well be three years old to me. They're babies. Myself and the lead singer of Outgrown, my friend Sean, decided to take things a step further. We got into graphic design and launched a company called Daps Clothing with the tagline, The Suburban Approach to Hip-Hop. Mind you, we didn't even really like hip-hop, but we knew a lot of the middle-class white kids in our high school loved it. So we started creating designs and printing logos and images of things like turntables and antique muscle cars all over every piece of clothing you could imagine. T-shirts, hoodies, baby doll tees, trucker hats, beanies, etc., etc. And we started selling them out of our lockers to anyone who would buy. Before we knew it, we were easily clearing $1,000 per month in profit. Again, I was 15. A few months went by, and I was summoned to the office of the school police officer. He informed me that what I was doing was illegal, and that there is this pesky thing called taxes when someone is making the kind of money selling things that I was. He then smiled, promised not to tell anyone, and wrote me a check on the spot. 
Why? Because his two kids were in middle school, and they knew that Justin, the kid who sells daps, was in high school, and daps was so cool that they just had to have it. So they begged their dad to buy some from me. So there I was, illegally selling the clothing line I'd started to the school police officer. I remember the exact order. Two hoodies, one for each of his kids. Fast forward to my junior year of high school, and I randomly decided, well, actually, I was convinced by my friend Tara, to try out for the yearly variety show, The Varsity Review. I played and sang She's Got Away by Billy Joel, and my life changed forever. My first performance was featured on the local news and in the newspaper, and life would never be the same from that moment on. People absolutely lost their minds. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Adults started treating me like a celebrity. I had a get-out-of-jail-free card for everything. I'm not kidding. My principal would pull me out of class in the middle of the day just to take me to Burger King to have lunch and hang out with him. When it came to disciplinary actions, I was literally untouchable, and I figured that out very quickly. I've thought long and hard about how deep I should go on this topic within my podcasts, and someday, maybe the whole story will come out in a book or something. But my senior year of high school was straight out of a movie. I was performing in bars, making $50 an hour base pay and getting tips on top of that, driving around in my first car, a fire engine red Camaro Z28 with T-tops, and running a small criminal empire with my crew in my spare time. I spent my evenings soaking in a hot tub, smoking cigars like Tony Soprano, brainstorming new schemes for me and my crew. The climax of that story came with an arrest by plain-clothed detectives. A lot of time in an interrogation room with the FBI. Again, you did not hear that wrong. This actually happened. And the threat of a sentence that would land me in prison until I was a 28-year-old man because I refused to rat on anyone. That sentence didn't happen, of course, but I did end up in a penitentiary with a real-life serial killer screaming in my face, telling me all the horrible things he would do to me if I ever ended up in prison with him for real. Yes, just like you may have seen on MTV back in the day, I went through a day of hell in the Scared Straight program. No, I was not on TV, but my experience was every bit as unpleasant as what you've seen. Of course, if you're an avid Clovis follower, you probably know the rest of my story a little better. I went to music school in Boston, then moved to Nashville, and for 10 plus years lived the life of a rock star. Sex, booze, bar fights, car wrecks, and rock and roll. Thank God I never got involved in the drug side of things. But I went out of my way to behave like the rock stars I idolized. At the height of my success, around the time of the reality TV show and such, it became increasingly difficult for me to count the number of days of each month that I did not have a drink. If I hit more than four days in a single month, I was proud of myself. I was playing shows as many nights per week as possible, usually six. My band and I would play a show, party till seven in the morning, sleep till about 1 p.m., and then repeat, like Groundhog's Day. At this point in my life, I was taking four shots of Jägermeister with a Miller Lite chaser before I ever even stepped on stage for a four-hour performance. I could sleep anywhere, floors, couches, other people's beds. Five to ten people would regularly sleep at my house. I didn't care who was in my bed, really. The gigs were all a blur, and we were always getting into trouble. I can no longer recall all of the fistfights I've been in over the course of my life. I'd imagine the number for most people is zero, or maybe one. 
For me, that number needs to be multiplied by double digits on the conservative side. It sort of comes with the territory when six nights of the week, you're drunk in a bar parking lot after last call at 3 a.m. For my amazing friends who decided to stick with me through all of this madness, they now lovingly refer to this stage of my life as my Hank Moody years, a reference to David Duchovny's bad boy character from the show Californication. I was an absolute mess, emotionally and spiritually, without even knowing it. You see, while all of this was going on, I had somehow stumbled into a six-figure-per-year income with a 401k and health benefits. I was a homeowner and a landlord. I self-funded and recorded an original album, launched a YouTube channel before it was cool, was co-writing songs around town with world-class songwriters. My music was being featured in films and television shows. I landed a network reality TV show on ABC, and then there was the health and wellness side of things. I thought I knew what healthy was. Despite my habit of 12 to 20 drinks per night, every afternoon, I would force myself through a grueling high-intensity workout, usually something like insanity or full-body lifting or CrossFit. The combination of sweat and sometimes vomit made me feel like I had burned off all the poor decisions from the night before. Then, I would go to Subway and get a foot-long oven-roasted chicken breast on honey oat bread and a bag of baked Lay's potato chips. Low-fat diet for the win. And then I'd drive off to whatever gig was scheduled that night to do it all over again. I eventually dismantled the band and quit playing these gigs after crashing my car into a guardrail, totaling it, fleeing the scene on foot, and somehow finagling a full insurance payout to boot. I called my band members, told them that we would no longer be playing shows because if we did, one of us was going to die. And I meant it. From the bottom of my heart, I meant it. And I still believe that I saved someone's life with this decision. I'll just never know whose life I saved. Why did my life go this way? Why must I take absolutely everything to the furthest extreme? The good, the bad, the ugly. Why have I always avoided any amount of normalcy? I'm really not quite sure. I have always been completely repulsed by what I call mediocrity. In fact, in my teens, a guidance counselor asked me if I had any fears. And I said, mediocrity, out loud. I used to jokingly tell people that if you gave me a life that consisted of a 9-to-5 job, a big house and a mortgage, a wife, 2.5 kids, and a picket fence, I would assuredly kill myself. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I've never gotten to the root of this thing. Maybe I never will. All I know is that the extremes follow me wherever I go and that the idea of being normal in any way induces tremendous anxiety in me. The emotional response to it is so severe, it causes me physical pain. When I was about 26, things started to get better, and I started taking health seriously. I was in a committed relationship, and around 27, I discovered paleo. My niece was born terminally disabled, and the path to Clovis revealed itself. Here we are, seven years later. And you're here listening to the version of Justin that the world sees today, a completely transformed human being. I'm well aware of that fact. I've also been speaking to my tribe about vulnerability a lot lately, which brings me to the heart of this episode. If you've stuck with me this long, kudos. I am thrilled you're still here. And I promise this long story will start making sense soon. I feel a responsibility to share with you the transformation that has taken place over the last seven years and what a day in the life of Justin looks like today. In order to accurately represent this, I need to be as vulnerable as possible with you. 
And that's exactly what I'm going to do with this next sentence. I live in a perpetual shame cycle. 24 hours per day, seven days per week. I cannot escape it, no matter what I do. I've tried everything in my power to not be this way, to no avail. I dedicate an immense amount of my waking hours to spiritual, mental, and emotional practices in hopes of someday escaping this prison cell I call my mind. As of today, I have not succeeded, but I remain hopeful, and I will never stop trying. I do not feel the same way about myself that the world tells me they feel about me. Grateful for me and my work, impressed by my talents, my success, my fearlessness and confidence, my intelligence, my appearance, my physical performance or physique, or even the fact that they see me as a value add for society as a whole. Don't get me wrong, I'm not spitting out false humility here. I can see the same things that you see. I can see the same things the world sees. I understand how my life appears to outside observers. I just don't feel it. I've never felt it. I've talked about this a bit in previous episodes, so I won't beat a dead horse here, but I've never been able to internalize or feel the way I want to feel about myself. I have to remind myself each and every day to practice self-love. It is not my default and has never been my default. Just this past week, I had a call with a dear friend, someone I trust with my deepest thoughts and internal struggles. He may be the best spiritual teacher I've ever come across in my life. I respect him, value him, and love him so much that it's impossible for me to express in words here. In this new stage in my life, where I've dedicated myself to practicing vulnerability to allow for deeper, more loving connections with other human beings, I decided to reveal a secret to him. I said, and I quote, I still can't believe you are my friend, and I have no idea why you are. Every time we talk, my mind believes you're doing me some sort of favor, that I'm bothering you by calling, that you're talking to me because you can see that I'm a mess and you feel bad for me. You pity me. You're talking to me as some sort of charity because my mind believes a person like you can't possibly get anything out of talking to someone like me. As soon as I said those words, his face was priceless and the deep conversation that ensued will be one that I will cherish for the rest of my life. You see, the journey I'm currently on is a direct result of what I call the pendulum swing. I reached a point in my life where I was disgusted with myself, and I took the first step on my path of personal development that has spanned the last seven years and has moved at the speed of sound because, well, I don't know how to do anything other than extreme. The amount of work I've put into my personal growth over the last seven years would take a 10-hour podcast to walk you through. So I'll summarize. I launched multiple startup companies, Clovis being the most notable. I now own four companies. I've traveled the globe, worked with shamans in the rainforest, participated in plant medicine ceremonies on three different continents. I've lived in Asia, worked with traditional therapists, became a purple belt in jujitsu, earned three separate nutrition certifications. I've spent thousands of hours studying nutrition, biochemistry, biology, immunology, endocrinology, and every other ology you can imagine. I joined a militia for a period of time and have hours of advanced tactical weapons training under my belt. I've explored every fitness camp on earth, from yoga to CrossFit to powerlifting to calisthenics. I've participated in wacky alternative healing modalities from rebirthing breathwork to Wim Hof and extreme cold exposure. I learned how to hunt. I've biohacked my body in every way imaginable, from run-of-the-mill supplements to injectable peptides. 
to advanced neurofeedback, to heroic doses of every class of psychedelics on planet Earth, to truly extreme nutrition protocols that I don't recommend for anyone. I've talked about all of these things at some point before. They are extreme by anyone's standards, because that's all I know how to do. As you can see, the pendulum swing from Rockstar to Clovis has been absurdly drastic. One far extreme to the opposite far extreme. I look back on my Rockstar years, and it's as if a different human being lived that life. Not me. And the same level of anxiety I get from imagining myself as a normal person now appears anytime I think about returning to my Rockstar ways. I even tend to avoid my old friends from those years because it brings up too many emotions of shame. What I have not yet talked about publicly is the cost of the pendulum swing, which brings me to the shame cycle. I'm not sure it is possible for anyone outside of myself to experience the standards I hold myself to. With Clovis, I always make you the same two promises. One, I will never lie to you. Two, I will always be authentic. Here's the problem with that. Look at the history of my content. The focus on discipline, consistency, optimal health and wellness, and the concept of non-negotiables. If I'm teaching you these same core principles every single day with my content, I have no choice but to live them daily. Because if I do not practice what I preach, I am no longer being authentic, and I would never allow this. My extreme self will never break a promise to you. What does this mean for Justin, the human being? It means I have zero wiggle room, ever. It means I live the life of an optimized soldier. It means that if I behave in a way that is interpreted in my mind as anything short of perfection, I shame myself brutally. My self-talk can be just plain awful. The guilt I feel if I think for even just a second that I have slipped up in any way, well, it's a nightmare. Think back to my description of my life as a rock star. That was one side of the pendulum swing. Currently, I cannot sleep unless the settings are ideal. I have my extremely high-tech pod bed that is perfectly optimized for my body to get the highest quality sleep. I require a noisemaker, an eye mask, and complete darkness for sleep. The mouthpiece I sleep with, custom made by a holistic biological dentist to keep my jaw in the perfect position throughout the night. I cannot sleep with another person in my bed. It's maddening to me, which is horrible for romantic relationships. I struggle even having visitors in my home because I'm so terrified that if I behave like myself, the true depths of my weirdness will be revealed. Planning my day and workout around my aura ring data each morning, my daily morning movement practice, my cold showers and audible deep breathing exercises, the meticulous way I heat water to exactly 190 degrees Fahrenheit, weigh out my coffee grounds to the gram, and weigh out the water I use to brew it to the gram. Timing the brew process to the exact second. The way my cold shower, meditation, journaling, reading time, daily workouts, sauna sessions, and all other non-negotiable tasks are timed and repeated in the exact same order in precisely the same way every single day. The 10 plus daily affirmations that I speak out loud in the same order every single day. The fact that I can be found in my house late at night reading under red lights wearing blue blocker glasses. The fact that I allow zero toxic chemicals or fragrances in my home. My decision to convert my entire garage into a gym that would make most CrossFit facilities jealous. Or the fact that my kitchen generally smells like liver and sardines and I haven't purchased a non-perishable food item in as long as I can remember. 
My home is no fun for visitors who like snacks. My home contains the same four to five food items at any given time, with zero deviation. And the closest thing to a treat being 85% dark chocolate, of which I allow myself no more than three squares per day. If I eat four squares, or God forbid, five, I will shame myself to the point of feeling guilt for the next 24 hours over the additional cubes eaten. My version of cheating on my diet is eating a tablespoon of almond butter or half a sweet potato. If I skip my daily workout, my brain is convinced I am a fat slob who lacks even a modicum of discipline or self-control. My self-talk contains more F-bombs than a Joe Rogan comedy special. I want to share a recent story with you to drive this point home. It was about 7 p.m. on a Friday during social distancing. I had been working my normal 12-hour day in front of my computer screen. One of my best friends in the world called me up, and I looked at the phone and almost declined the call because I was busy. I was still working. And I said, Justin, it's 7 p.m. on a Friday. Take the call from your best friend. So I picked up the call. And as we chatted, I built a fire in my backyard, sat by that fire, and did a FaceTime with my best friend Nick and his daughter. And she got on the FaceTime, looked into the camera, and said, it's Uncle Justin. And she seemed genuinely happy to see me, and it made my heart happy. We spent the next hour or so having a wonderful FaceTime conversation. Now, my friend Nick likes to drink, and he wanted to share a drink with me. So I popped open a bottle of Dry Farm Wines, and I sipped on a glass of delicious, sugar-free, biodynamic red wine while talking to one of my best friends in the world and his beautiful daughter. It was an absolutely lovely experience. When we hung up the phone, I poured another glass of red wine and sat by the fire in silence for about 45 minutes, staring at the fire, then looking up at the stars, then looking at my home and thinking, wow, Justin, your life is amazing. I felt fantastic for about two hours. Then later that night, I laid down in bed to go to sleep and I thought to myself, you slob. You had a fantastic workout today, and you ruined it with those two glasses of wine. What the fuck is wrong with you? And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. After a truly beautiful experience, in comes my self-talk and my mental prison, the cell that I call my mind. And this is just one example of countless. I've recently made the decision to start spending weekends at my dad's lake house for screen-free time. The first night of my screen-free experiment at Dad's Lake House, I drew myself a hot bath. Just before I hopped in the bath, I was in the kitchen and noticed a jar of almond butter in the refrigerator that was about half empty. The expiration date was coming up soon, and my dad is stuck in Florida for social distancing. My brain said, well, you love almond butter, and this jar is going to be wasted. Might as well have a spoonful. The next thing I knew, I was in the hot bath with a jar of almond butter, and I had eaten the entire thing. Notice how I say entire thing. I mean, it's fucking almond butter, but the way my self-talk describes it, you'd think I had eaten a large pizza or something. Just like the glass of wine by the campfire, here was a beautiful, relaxing experience that I thoroughly enjoyed while participating in it. But the moment I realized I'd eaten half a jar, the empty container reminded my brain that I had not executed precision self-control. I'd failed to practice discipline. I felt guilt and shame immediately and it stayed with me for the remainder of the weekend. My screen-free lake house experiment has also made me realize that I have exactly no idea what to do with myself when the concept of time or goals is removed from my daily life. I feel completely lost and panicked. 
I find myself building structure around time that I have already prearranged as free time. I'll light a fire in the fireplace, brew some coffee, sit down in a rocking chair, and read a book I've been meaning to get to. And 20 minutes later, I find myself impulsively looking for my phone to check on the world of Clovis. My brain is thinking, dude, you've been sitting here reading for 20 minutes. Surely, this is too long. You have so many other things to do. There's work to be done. But the truth is, there isn't. I invent the work. I'm capable of inventing enough work to keep me busy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The reality sets in that checking my phone is useless because the lake house has terrible internet service and no cell phone signal. A gift from heaven. But my brain simply does not know how to handle it. Before I knew it, my relaxing, agenda-free time at the lake house had become an uber-productive weekend of studying endocrinology, timing my shirtless time in the sun for optimal vitamin D absorption, practicing handstands with a strict routine of specific sets and reps, and weighing out the food I cooked because of the guilt carried over from the jar of almond butter. I found myself examining the different rooms in the house, thinking, this is a great place for filming Clovis videos. I even figured out the optimal height of all the shower heads in Dad's rainforest shower for the optimal five-minute cold shower experience each morning. At one point, I had a strange urge to sit down and watch a movie, and my brain instantly said, Last night, you sat in a bathtub and finished a jar of almond butter, you asshole. Now you want to sit on the couch and watch TV? Who the fuck are you? And that idea was squashed like a bug. Instead, I worked through an entrepreneurship workbook I had brought with me, because God forbid I showed up to the lake house without anything related to business. If you haven't realized what's happened here yet, let me help. I am trapped at the extreme end of a pendulum swing, and I have been here for years. The same way I was trapped during my rock star years. I look back on most of my behavior from those hard partying years with disgust and even a bit of resentment. I don't like that version of Justin. You couldn't pay me to go back to being 25 years old. I've worked way too hard to become the man you see today. And yet, do I truly have more freedom? More fulfillment? More happiness? This is a question I ask myself constantly. For those of you just beginning your journey on personal growth, I should also be super honest and upfront with you here. Every single person I have ever met who is on a path of personal development, at one point or another, has wondered if they ever should have taken the first step. What I mean by that is, when you're living a life of escapism like I was, and like most Americans do, shitty food, alcohol or drugs, promiscuity, no routines or healthy rituals, spending your nights on the couch binging Netflix, etc., etc., you don't really know that you're suffering. You never give yourself a moment to feel the suffering. You're participating in too many activities that numb you to the point of not even knowing what you enjoy and what you don't anymore, let alone how many people who are also on antidepressants and are living life in a clouded haze of artificial reality. It's madness. That said, there is the old cliche term, ignorance is bliss. Of course, I don't agree with that term at all. 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm over the moon happy with my decision to build a better life for myself. I am so happy and eternally grateful that I took that first step. And what I've experienced over the last seven years is more than an average human would experience in five lifetimes. I am forever grateful to my higher self for stepping in and starting me on this beautiful journey. But I would be lying to you if I said that the other 0.01% of the time didn't exist. Those fleeting moments where I think to myself, what if I just went back to playing gigs, drinking booze, and hanging out with a different Instagram model every night? It almost sounds enticing, 
for all of 15 seconds until I shudder and remember the emptiness that comes along with that life each and every morning when the fog from the night before has lifted. Yes, the thoughts still pop up every now and again, but I now have the self-awareness to realize I'm just being enticed by an opposite extreme because I've never lived a middle path. I have exactly zero experience in the middle. The only options my brain truly understands are extreme ends of the pendulum swing. Here's the good news. The entire point of this episode. The pendulum swings were entirely necessary for me to realize what I truly want out of this life. My middle path. Not the world's middle path. The 9-to-5 job with a mortgage, wife, 2.5 kids, and a picket fence I detailed earlier in this episode. That is not my middle path. It is a great path for some people. That does not mean it's right for me. And that is perfectly okay. My middle path might be unlike any other middle path on planet Earth. And I am the only one who can properly define my middle path and make it my reality. That is the journey I currently find myself on. I also think this is the problem with all dogmatic theologies that preach specific ways of life and their own subjective beliefs on what is moral and what is not. After almost 34 years of living a life most people cannot imagine, I can tell you definitively that I believe hedonism will get you to morality faster than abstinence. I believe that 100%. Think about it. How many sex scandals exist in the world of religion as a whole? How much murder in the name of beliefs? How many wars? On and on. I know some of you won't like this point, but just think about it for a second. What do all of these religions have in common? Extreme personal sacrifice and suffering for the promise of something better after death. Each and every one of these religions is built upon a foundation of suppressing natural human instincts. The same way I tell you that mainstream nutrition advice eat less, move more, goes directly against our built-in survival instincts on a genetic level. It's virtually impossible to follow these guidelines without tremendous personal sacrifice and suffering. On the flip side of the coin, indulging in desires is generally a surefire way to squash the desire and just move on. Facts are facts. Most people who try alcohol do not become alcoholics. Most people who have a one-night stand do not become sex addicts or end up with an STD. Most people who try cigarettes do not become addicted. To be clear, I am absolutely not telling you to do things outside of your own moral code or personal boundaries. Not even a little bit. I'm saying it's entirely up to you to decide where those boundaries lie for you as an individual. Where the extreme ends of all of life's pendulum swings begin and end. And it's up to you to decide if visiting the extreme ends of either side will benefit your life in any way. For instance, at this point in my life, I have no interest in having a one-night stand because I've had them. I have no interest in getting in a bar fight to prove myself because I've done it. I have no interest in being famous because I've experienced just very small tastes of fame and I've hated every single experience with it. I have zero desire to get blackout drunk at this point in my life because I've done it more times than I could ever possibly count. I know that money doesn't bring happiness because I've been broke as hell and I've also had times where I've made over $1,000 per hour. I know that quick money schemes are never legit because I've done them and faced tremendous consequences as a result. And then there's the flip side of things. The things that might be considered healthy or beneficial or righteous or whatever word you choose to use. I don't want to track my macros and weigh my food before I cook it. 
because I've done that for years and it sucks. I don't want to completely abstain from alcohol because there's nothing I love more than deep conversations with good people over red wine and a delicious charcuterie board. I don't want to work out every day, no matter what, because I've injured my body with fitness more times than I can count. I don't want to spend every night of my life in bed all by myself so I can achieve perfect sleep quality 100% of the time, because I've done that for years, and it will lead to loneliness. I no longer want to get the shit kicked out of me by 20-something-year-old dudes whose only mission in life is to be the best martial artist they can be, because I've trained for years and understand the deeper, more philosophical side of martial arts. I want to practice art. I don't want to fight to prove myself. I don't want to work 16-hour days, hustling to get rich, because all at once, out of nowhere, the universe will punch you in the face with the fact that you've done so at the expense of deep connection with the people in your life who you love the most. And that is where I find myself today, a couple of weeks after the most impactful psychedelic experience of my entire life after being thoroughly beaten over the head for what felt like eternity with the realization that I don't care about material things much at all. I've worked tirelessly for years, chasing success, when what I truly wanted all along, in the deepest depths of my soul, is deeper connections and relationships with beautiful people. To be honest, my life feels a lot like The Alchemist, my favorite book of all time. The answers seem so simple once you finally have them, but they never would have revealed themselves had you not gone on the journey and had the combined whole of your life experiences. Without experiencing the extreme ends of the pendulum swing, I can safely say I wouldn't be experiencing these beautiful realizations at such a young age. In fact, I think it is the lack of extremes in most people's lives that lead to things like midlife crisis. There is beauty in the pendulum swing. There is wisdom in the extremes. There are lessons to be learned within each and every experience. A term you hear me use often on the podcast is wisdom through experience. So many people spend their lives absorbing theoretical knowledge taught to them by other people. Mind you, nine times out of 10, even the people teaching the theoretical knowledge have not experienced the very things they're teaching. It's like a college professor teaching entrepreneurship who has never successfully started his own company. Academia is riddled with this kind of absurd hypocrisy. In fact, it's the rule, not the exception. If you're listening to this episode and you're a Clovis client, you may be living at a new end of a pendulum swing that is completely foreign to you. Maybe you're 100 pounds overweight and you just got a custom nutrition plan from me and you finally dove in and threw away all the junk in the house and you're tracking your macros and cooking your own meals. If your last three decades have been a standard American diet, a sedentary lifestyle, and plenty of booze and TV time, your new reality probably feels extreme, without a doubt. And that is a beautiful thing. And if you ask me, it is entirely necessary. I constantly remind my new clients that I don't want them to be trapped weighing food and counting macros for the rest of their lives. But the experience is absolutely necessary when they've been stuck living at the opposite extreme of poor health for far too long. Swinging to the extreme opposite side of the pendulum is the only way to shock your system enough for you to eventually settle on some middle path, as defined by you. I can't even tell you how many high-performance clients come to me looking for optimal human performance. They're all in, and they're convinced that two years from now, they're going to have shredded six-pack abs and be competing in the CrossFit Games or something. Their first three months, you'd think they were getting paid $1 million for their efforts. That's how hard they're hitting it and how meticulous they are about every aspect of the plan. And yet, 
And they find themselves nine months later with a great physique, not a supermodel physique, but a great physique they are happy with, and that is sustainable. All of their blood work markers are perfect. They find themselves taking leisurely walks outdoors each day. They've settled into a mindfulness practice that's helped them curb their old anxiety issues. They're happier in their marriage. They might lift weights two to three weeks per week for maintenance, and they no longer feel any desire to prove themselves in any sort of athletic competition. Life is just easy, fun, and immensely fulfilling. They are, by their own standards, walking their middle path, and they're shocked by how good it feels. Personally, that's what I desire most at this moment, and I find myself a bit stuck in a sort of extreme purgatory, on the far end of a pendulum swing, looking for a middle path. Here's the problem. I have always lived this life of extremes. For instance, when I was living in the middle of my rock star years, I truly believed that I had to continue my way of extreme living because that's what all the most famous rock stars did. I was reading autobiographies about Keith Richards, Steven Tyler, and Anthony Kiedis, extreme versions of rock stars with godlike status in human history whose first-hand accounts of their craziest years made me think that I needed to live on the far end of the pendulum swing if I wanted to make it as a musician. I needed to party harder. I needed more drama in my life so I could write heart-wrenching songs. I needed better stories to tell for the day when I wrote my autobiography when I was a world-famous rock star. And now, years later, here I am on the exact opposite end of the pendulum swing but still thinking I need to stay here for the future I've chosen for myself. Being a popular health and wellness influencer, transforming the lives of millions of people for the better, and adding tremendous value to the world as a whole. I've traded the goal of making it in music for the goal of becoming a household name for my positive impact on society. To be honest, I don't know how to wrap up this episode. I still have no idea what the middle path looks like for me. My own personal version of the middle path that is unique to me and my goals as an individual. I can tell you that I'm actively taking small steps toward that goal with the understanding that it's probably going to take me a very long time, maybe even years to find what I'm looking for. All I can do is practice what I call just being, meaning spending time, spending time, as in doing nothing. Well, nothing that is goal-oriented at least. Like continuing to flail helplessly at dad's lake house, going screen-free on the weekends as a digital detox. Laying on the dock in the sun and not timing the endeavor for optimal vitamin D synthesis or whatever other crazy shit my brain will come up with to make each minute the most productive it can be. I also made a decision recently that was also quite difficult for me. I bought a used PlayStation 3 for $60 and a Call of Duty game for $3. I've had it for almost a month now, and I've played it once for a grand total of one hour. And it was super fun, because it was a bit mindless, and that might be just what I need right now. But I had to spend a significant amount of time talking myself out of what I believe to be the worst-case scenario, me ending up addicted to video games and becoming a fat loser whose controller is stained orange from the Cheetos I eat all day while I waste my life away. It is amazing how our brains are so unbelievably good at coming up with absurd worst-case scenarios. I see it all the time with Clovis. I'll take a coaching call with someone who absolutely hates their job. It's making them miserable. But when I reveal the irrefutable truth to them that they could literally quit the job tomorrow and they wouldn't die, their brains just cannot accept it as a possibility. Society has sufficiently scared the shit out of us as long as we've been alive that if you do not have an acceptable or safe job by society's standards, you will assuredly find yourself living under a bridge with a needle in your arm within two weeks. And we truly believe that nonsense. 
which makes it damn near impossible to make any significant change in life once we have achieved a position considered safe by society. And here we are, in the midst of a global pandemic, where basically every piece of bullshit advice the experts brainwashed into our heads over the last 50 years has been revealed as the complete house of cards that it is, as everything crumbled around us. Everything we were taught was safe wasn't. And the cowboys like me that society has always called reckless are sitting here looking like maybe we weren't so crazy after all by being willing to live outside of cultural norms, to live on the extreme edges of the pendulum swings. Just to bring this back to my own madness, to let you know that I by no means think I am above any of the struggles other people face, I'll give yet another example of my own madness. I struggle just like anyone else. I just tend to struggle in different ways. On the same call with my dear friend where I revealed my insecurities, he also said to me, dude, you need to go out and eat a fucking pizza and drink a liter of Coca-Cola. I sat there kind of dumbfounded. Why? Because I completely understood what he was saying and I realized he was right. Now, just for reference, my friend is a health nut, just like I am. He is actually a life coach for many high-performance millionaire entrepreneurs. He's an expert in human health and performance. By no means was he suggesting that eating a pizza and drinking Coca-Cola would be metabolically healthy. He was talking about it strictly from a psychological perspective. You see, the first thing I said to him after I had a moment to absorb his suggestion was, dude, just the thought of that scares the shit out of me. And he responded with, exactly. The same way people think that if they quit their job, they will end up living under a bridge with a needle in their arm, I have somehow convinced myself that if I eat a slice of pizza and drink a Coke, I will die. That's quite literally how it feels in my brain. It feels that serious. Now, logically, I can look back and see that I ate truckloads of processed foods, soda, and other bullshit for the first 25 years of my life, and here I am alive and well. But somehow, the new extreme I live in has brainwashed me into some new false beliefs. I could sit here all day and argue that those new false beliefs are beneficial because they prevent me from eating junk food, which is bad for me, and blah, blah, blah. If that's what you're thinking in your own mind right now, you are completely missing the point. What my friend suggested to me is the entire point of this episode. There can be teachable moments and extremely beneficial outcomes from spending some time in the extremes. Not every moment, but some moments. For instance, if I were to go eat a large pizza and drink a two-liter bottle of Coke right now, I would survive, without a doubt. I might have some unpleasant digestive issues. I might get a headache. I might feel like crap the next day, or even the next two days but I would survive. That is irrefutable. I'll openly admit here that I am not going to do this, but the thought experiment is still wildly beneficial because it can help me see how absolutely fucking insane it is for me to shame myself when I eat a bit too much almond butter or a few too many squares of 85% dark chocolate. You see? Exploring the extremes gives me a better understanding of what the middle path might look like. It's the equivalent of my clients realizing the odds of them living under a bridge with a needle in their arm are about as close to zero as possible. To help you see why I decided to record this episode in the first place, I just want to bring it back to the fact that the end goal of my work with Clovis is not an end goal at all. It's to put you on the path of the path. There is no destination. The journey is the destination. And every single step along the journey is beautiful. There is no good, bad, right, or wrong step. Each step just is. Sometimes you might swing at either extreme of the pendulum, 
And sometimes you might be flowing through life comfortably on an ideal middle path that is extremely fulfilling for you. And without question, there will be moments when you begin to lean toward an extreme on either side, and you might even spend a significant amount of time there. And that is okay. If you ever book a coaching call with me, I'll explain to you that my goal is not to make you a macro-tracking, food-weighing, Clovis evangelical preacher for the rest of your days. My goal is to shake you awake by shifting you from your current extreme to the exact opposite extreme so you can spend some time there and learn some very valuable lessons. And, of course, in almost all of my clients, when we first begin our work together, their health is so poor that extreme measures must be taken to save their lives, literally. But the fact remains that my goal is to eventually get you to a beautiful middle path where you know exactly what choices to make each and every day to live your best life. Not a life of obsessive compulsive disorder, which is basically where I find myself currently, but to a life of ease, flow, and playfulness. With an understanding that very few things are as urgent or serious as we believe them to be in our minds. There is no impending disaster looming behind each and every corner of life. It can be oddly helpful to know that you could literally eat nothing but Twinkies for the next year and you're not going to die. Hell, you probably wouldn't even do any damage that's irreversible. Do I recommend it? No, of course not. But simply thinking through the thought experiment can help prevent you from beating yourself up when you're on month three of Clovis and somehow slip up and eat a pint of ice cream. This type of big picture critical thinking can be the difference between saying, oh well, I ate some ice cream, time to make a ribeye for dinner and get back to Clovis. Or saying, fuck it, I've failed. I might as well eat another pint of ice cream every day for the next two months, dip Oreos in the ice cream, and wash it all down with a bottle of sweet wine while I'm at it. You see? There are mental prisons littered throughout this experience we call life. And if we don't make critical thinking and helpful thought experiments a regular practice, we could end up trapped in those mental prisons without even knowing we ever stepped in them to begin with. The same way a fish has no idea what water is. I'll close by lovingly reminding you that there are days in my life when I still feel hopelessly lost on my journey. I know people look up to me. I'm not dumb. I'm very well aware of how my audience and even my loved ones view me, which is why I find it so critically important for me to begin and continue making content that reveals the absolute insanity of my internal struggles, self-talk, and extreme and often obsessive compulsive tendencies. If you follow my content and you often find yourself struggling, it is critically important that I share my struggles with you as well. There is no version of perfect, my friends. It truly does not exist. That's a bit painful for me to admit because I know I've spent 34 years chasing some version of it that I've never even been able to clearly define. But there is beauty in the imperfect. There is wisdom in the imperfection we experience each and every day. A mistake is seen as a negative thing in our Western culture. I disagree. And I'll end this episode by sharing a fantastic, if not mind-bending, quote from an amazing book called The Mind-Body Code by Dr. Mario Martinez. Quote, Mistakes are doorways to the wisdom of imperfection. End quote. There you have it. Embrace your mistakes. They are not negative. They are not fatal. They do not diminish your worth as a human being. There are lessons on the extreme ends of the pendulum swings. Without them, there can be no middle path.